0: Oh,
1: Tuesday, September 28th, and welcome to this week's on the triangle. I'm DeAndre Jones and I'm Jake Lingua. We've got a great show for you this week as per usual.
2: This week Jean spoke, spoke with members of the On Campus group, Group Engineers Without Borders. Will spoke with Economics Professor here at NC State and a re- about a recent banking scandal and Jake has braved another awful movie.
1: In addition, some sound bites just to keep things interesting and DeAndre spoke with members of the group Creative Food Drive. But before all of that, let's see what's up with this week in the news and the weather. Dave
3: Thanks, Jake. If you hadn't noticed already, we got quite a bit of rain today, but I'm hopeful that we'll pull away from that type of weather this week. We had a high of 80 today, and it's going to get down to 63 tonight. Tomorrow will be partly cloudy and also very windy with winds up to 17 miles per hour, so uh, watch out there. It'll only get up to 72, but then we'll get down to 57 tomorrow night. Uh, Thursday will be partly cloudy, cloudy again with a high of 77 and a low of 59. Friday will be our nicest weather for this weekend, uh, fortunately, with a high of 81 and a low of 63, a sunny day with 0% chance of rain there. Uh, Saturday will be partly cloudy, and we're going to get up to 60, 83 with a low of 62 for a Saturday evening. Sunday will continue the trend of partly cloudy skies and 10% chance of rain, but it will be a little cooler than Saturday with a high of 75 and a low of 53. Monday and Tuesday are going to be beautiful sunny days with 0% chance of rain and highs of 73 and 76, respectively. We're going to get down to the mid-50s both of those nights as well. And that should do it for the weather this week. Thanks for listening. Back to you. I'm really looking forward to that.
2: Most
0: definitely. It seems like it's getting cooler. Now we turn to Andrew for the latest in the news. Andrew? Thanks, DeAndre. A video clip of Mitt Romney at a private fundraiser in May leaked this weekend in which he makes a series of comments that have been criticized throughout the media including statements that Palestinians are, quote, committed to the destruction and elimination of Israel and that 47% of Obama's supporters support him because they are dependent on government services. Romney has said that his comments were off the cuff and not elegantly stated, but he has stood by the message. The Chicago Teachers Union voted today to end their strike that has been ongoing for the past seven days. They will return to classes tomorrow. And more than 130 prisoners are on the run after a jailbreak at a Mexican prison near the Texas border. The prisoners escape through a 10-foot-high tunnel dug out from the prison's carpentry workshop under a perimeter fence. The Mexican government is offering rewards of 200,000 pesos for the information leading to the arrest of each prisoner. And that's the news. Thanks for that, Andrew. Many might not have heard about this next story in the Pop
1: News Minute, but a large British bank is currently under investigation for banking with Iran uh, through their New York offices. It is, of course, illegal in this country to do do business with the state of Iran. It is certainly a juicy scandal for the ages. Will has more.
4: Good evening. On August 7th, New York Financial Services Superintendent Benjamin Lofsky made headlines by accusing British banking giant Standard Chartered PLC of laundering more than $250 billion through its New York-based unit, on behalf of customers in Iran, in violation of U.S. financial sanctions against the militant Islamist state. Mr. Losky attacked the bank's New York-based dollar trading desk, claiming that it, quote, operated as a rogue institution, end quote, over the past several years by handling more than 60,000 transactions involving inhabitants of the Islamic Republic. Standard Chartered quickly settled the charges, accepting a fine of $340 million and the appointment by Mr. Lawski's office of a monitor to supervise its international trading. The bank remains under investigation by the FBI, the Treasury Department, the Justice Department, and Manhattan District Attorney Cyrus Vance, Jr. In the meantime, however, the case offers a synagdoche of the larger problems confronting the United States in its ongoing attempts to isolate Tehran through sanctions, even as the regime plows ahead with the development of its destabilizing nuclear program. Joining us tonight to discuss the standard chartered case in the Iran sanctions program is Professor Thomas Grenis, who specializes in monetary and international economics at North Carolina State. I should like to begin by asking Dr. Grenis to briefly explain the nature of the trades at issue. To wit, why is a bank in New York handling transactions in dollars for Iranians who are typically trading with partners also outside
5: the United States? Standard Chartered is a multinational bank with its headquarters in London, a small operation in the U.S., a vast majority of its operations are in Asia and Africa. So why dollars, uh, the dollar is the de facto world currency, so it's quite common for two non-U.S. countries that are making trades to denominate their contracts in U.S. dollars. So it's it's a convenient way of making transactions.
4: Okay, but it also offers the opportunity for money laundering, correct? Correct. And in, in what Senator Charter is accused of doing is of removing the identities of the folks who are actually carrying out the business.
5: That's right. I mean, money laundering opportunities are always there. So because there's a New York charter and a New York operation, it extends the possibilities to the U.S.
4: Every time such scandalous trades with Iran or Cuba or other rogue states are discovered, uh, it seems like a lot of observers shake their heads and declare that our current sanctions regime is broken or that sanctions in general are, are not worth the trouble. What, in your view, are the root causes of the
5: failure? Sanctions are, are difficult to enforce precisely because trade, successful trade, uh, benefits both parties. So if you ask people to stop trading, both parties lose. And so the most difficult thing for the sanction is to get many countries to participate in, in the sanctions. And because the exporters are going to lose, it's difficult to get people, A, to agree to participate in the sanctions and, B, to, to effectively enforce them.
4: Mr. Loski pointed out in his complaint that Standard Chartered stands accused of carrying out more than 250 billion dollars worth of these illegal transactions, which seems like a lot until you consider that the the New York desk apparently processes more than 200 billion dollars worth of dollar clearing every single day. Uh, that's according to the Wall Street Journal. A host of other multinational banks have admitted to violating sanctions on Iran, whether knowingly or inadvertently. The list includes uh, Barclays, RBS, and the Dutch bank ING. Given the sheer size of dollar clearing operations. Do you think it's feasible for the United States to prevent these kinds of trades with Iran? It
5: is very difficult uh, to to prevent these monetary trades as well as the real trades. Essentially it was uh, Iran is exporting oil and this is essentially an oil embargo since oil is uh, 97% of uh, iran's transactions. So yeah, difficult for the banking transactions to be enforced and also the, the oil transactions.
4: Sanctions remain very much in the news with both presidential candidates continuing to push economic isolation uh, as the key to undermining the regime. Do you see a viable future for sanctions?
5: They're always difficult, and so the case in favor has always been uh, they appear to be a peaceful way of influencing rivals. You don't have to use the military. And if I can do a brief quote from Woodrow Wilson, who was a proponent of sanctions, he said, a nation boycotted is a nation that is in sight of surrender. Apply the economic, peaceful, silent, deadly remedy, and there'll be no need for force. It is a terrible remedy. It does not cost a life outside the nation boycotted, but it brings pressure upon the nation that, in my judgment, no modern nation could resist. So this is Woodrow Wilson in the 1920s or so. He was he was optimistic about the use of sanctions. There's a long history of sanctions since then. They've been studied systematically, and usually they're ineffective. Uh, Gary, Gary Huffbauer is the one who studies it at great length.
4: In defense of the Iranian sanctions program over the past several weeks, some scholars have noted that Iran continues to release the names of new trading partners with whom it has purportedly made deals to sell oil. And then these trading partners, most recently Egypt, have continually come out and denied these these so-called deals, saying no, there was never any such negotiation. So it does appear that at least some of Iran's leaders... Are feeling the pressure, but even assuming that we could secure the cooperation of Russia and China and other major trading partners of Iran, how could sanctions be structured differently to disincentivize the type of cheating that we saw in the standard chartered case?
5: The most effective way is to get every every exporter, and every importer to participate, and that's, that's very very hard to do. So, if, if you can assume that's possible, if everybody participates, uh, it would be much more effective. But uh, even then, the case of so-called um, indirect trade. And so if it's illegal for, let's say, Japan to buy oil directly from Iran, India, who's not participating, could buy, and Japan buys from India, just just re-export. So it's very difficult to keep a paper trail and prevent that kind of thing. Dr. Grennis, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for having me.
4: My guest has been Professor Thomas Grennis of the Department of Economics at NC State. For 88.1 WKNC, this is William Allen. Good night.
2: This week, I spoke with members of the Creative Food Drive, an organization here in North Carolina that tries to provide food to the needy through some rather unconventional means. Here's me. Hey, guys. I'm DeAndre, and I'm sitting here with a couple of representatives from the Creative Food Drive of Durham. Before we start off, can I get your guys' names
6: and titles?
7: Yes, I am Bethany Houston. I'm the marketing coordinator for MHA Works.
6: And my name is George Heining. I'm the director of marketing at MHA Works Architecture.
2: Okay, so my first question is, can I get a general overview of this Creative Food Drive and what it's about?
7: Well, what CFD is, is it's it's a community charity event and it's also a competition where local organizations and community members and local companies will put their creativity to the test, as it were. And they will come and they will raise food for the Food Bank of North Carolina and for Housing for New Hope.
6: We have local organizations Sign up months before the event and between the time they sign up in the event, they do an internal food drive. Then the day of the event, which is September 22nd, everyone comes out and their teams are given an hour and a half to build something with their food. While that's going on, the community is encouraged to come out and watch the building happen, watch the finished products, and really just get to see the process from nothing to 18 sculptures spread out around the area. We're also having live music food trucks, a kids' zone with a bouncy castle and some face painting and some other activities for the kids. And we're shutting the street down, and it really is a local community festival for a good cause. And who's putting the event on? We're fortunate enough to work for a commercial architectural firm in Durham that has been located in the Triangle for over 20 years, and we just recently started our 25th year in business. Their willingness to let us put the effort and resources into making this event happen uh, is one of the main reasons why i love working for the company Uh, the fact that they care just as much about the community as they do their their clients speaks loudly to me and it really uh, makes me feel like I, i work at a great place and i'm glad they're willing to let us put this on it definitely sounds like a great place how big of a turnout are you guys expecting to the event?
7: We're generally expecting between five and 700 people to come out. That includes community members, families, college students, and also all of the local businesses that are going to be within the competition.
2: And where is the event taking place?
7: It will be on the corner of Gear and Rigsby in Durham, North Carolina. It will be right at Full Steam and Motorco Music Hall.
6: Eight teams will occupy full steam, and eight teams will occupy motorco with the music and all the activities being outside in the street, kind of a block party.
2: Sounds very cool. This, I mean, this is obviously a pretty large event, and I know a lot of preparation must go into it. you guys have any
6: idea of what sort of preparation is going into the event? That's kind of a, a loaded question. It's, uh, it, it's, it's a year-long process. The first time we did it was last year, and directly after the event, we started planning this year's event. Um, we get really in high gear around six months before the event when we start bringing on teams. Uh, Symprius was a team last year. They're doing it again, and they signed up six months ago. Um, and then we've had teams sign up as, you know, as early as a month ago. That's the first stage, getting the team signed on. The second stage is getting the community out. And the third stage, of course, is planning the event, planning the logistics, getting everything laid out. Uh, the day of the event is when it really, really takes a lot of manpower, Uh, We'll have anywhere between 20 to 25 volunteers on the ground uh, executing this event. We're really grateful to all those who come out and help.
2: And I noticed that you guys said that you also put on the event last year. How did it go last year?
7: Um, Last year's event actually went really great for being a first year that we put this on. We had close to 400 uh, community members come out. We had about 15 teams compete so we're just really excited that, you know, this year it's just going to grow and it's just going to continue to grow. We've got 19 teams competing. Like I said, we're expecting between five and 700 people. Uh, we've done a lot more as far as publicity-wise. I think people, we were kind of the secret gem last year. And so this year, I think people are really excited about it.
2: I know you guys mentioned live music. Do you guys know what bands are playing?
7: Um, Well, first off, we just want to thank Reverb Nation. They worked with us um, throughout this whole process to line up our bands. We actually had bands compete through their online service. And the ones that ended up winning and the ones that will be performing live will be Rebecca Todd, Saints Apollo, and
2: Treehouse.
6: And how many food vendors will be present? So last year we had an entire row of food trucks. I think we had close to 15 out there. But this year we're keeping it more controlled and lower key on the actual food trucks. We're putting them on either end and we're going to have a total of six food trucks. Uh, But it'll give you plenty of selection and variety but not overwhelm the area so we can have plenty of room for more activities. And speaking about the area, how big is the event itself? What sort of area will it span? So the actual event, as I mentioned we're occupying Rigsby North is what we're calling it. It's the block where Motorco and Full Steam are located in downtown Durham. We'll occupy both buildings and then we'll also occupy the street where the food trucks will be, the kids' zone will be with the blow-up castle, uh, and, and also the live music will be performed in the street. The whole concept is somewhat of a block party. We'll be shutting the street down and just filling the street with people. And are there opportunities for volunteers or is that period sort of over? Well, as we mentioned before, planning has taken us well over six months. And naturally, at this point, we have everything in line in terms of volunteers. And as I mentioned, also, we have full uh, teams competing. The one area where we could still use some help is sponsorships. Uh, This, as we mentioned, is going to be reaching out to close to 700 community members. And we'd love people to come on board if they want to get involved and help us out so we can get this uh, event larger next year. What is the associated cost for the attendees for the event? Well, that's one of the great things about the event. We've really tried to focus on the community and helping the community, and we really don't want to charge anything for it. So for you to be a team to compete, if you're interested in doing that next year, we don't charge anything. And if you are the community and you just want to come out and enjoy the festivities, that's also free. All we ask is that you bring a couple cans of food from your closet and and bring them on out so that we can help raise food for the Housing for New Hope and for the food bank. So definitely a great opportunity for anyone that wants to join. What are your final thoughts before we head out? DeAndre, first of all, thanks for having us. We, we really appreciate being here, and it's community awareness events and uh, publicity that really helps this event grow and really help our local community. Um, we're, we're really excited about the event, and uh, with the amount of recognition and the amount of response we're getting, it's it's bound to be much larger than last year. And, and last year was far beyond what we expected we raised 8,000 meals, and our goal is uh, to raise over 12,000 this year. What is the date for the event? One more time.
7: Um, it's this Saturday. It's September 22nd, and it's from 3 to 7 p.m.
6: Do you guys have
2: a Twitter and Facebook page that you'd like to plug?
7: Um, yeah, we do. We, you can um, always view more information at our actual event website. It's uh, www.creativefooddrive.com. You can look at last year's pictures. You can see all of the teams that are competing this year. Um, you can also check out our Facebook. It's facebook.com slash creative food drive. And our Twitter is at CF drive.
2: All right. So for all those listening, please try and head out there. And that's all I have for you guys. Thank you. And for i in the triangle, this has been DeAndre Jones. We're going to take a quick break, but stick around. We've got more on the way. And welcome back to i in the
1: triangle. Uh, before this next part, I'd just like to give you a quick story. So last week, DeAndre got into a discussion with some of our EOT contributors about, of all things, whether or not women wearing leggings as pants are okay. <laughs> um, as hard-hitting as that is. DeAndre said nay. Uh, Jasmine and Jean said yay. So we be- we became curious as to what exactly the Wolfpack wolf thinks, so we decided to find out. And, well, the answer might surprise you.
2: I, I haven't heard-
8: This has been Gene Journa for I Am the Triangle.
1: So now that you've heard all the opinions, DeAndre, I just want to go ahead and ask you, uh, has your mind been changed? What do, you, what do you
2: think? No, my mind has not been changed. And I'm glad to see that like 50% of the Wolfpack has a fashion sense of any kind.
1: I was honestly surprised that so many people had an opinion about that. That's not something most well, pe- I didn't think most people ever thought about.
2: Well, it's taking over the world like ever since last year, you know, it could have been before last year because I I was a freshman last year. So, of course, last year is my first year. So ever since I've been here, as soon as it gets slightly cold outside, like below 75 degrees, women are like, oh, time to wear undergarments on the outside. So you just you're not changing your mind. Why should I? It's not it's not appropriate. That's like me wearing boxers outside and saying it's cool. I
1: don't know how appropriate an analogy that was, but uh, okay. Whatever. So, <laughs> Engineers Without Borders is a group striving to do good in the world and can kind of be considered an engineer's answer to the organization Doctors Without Borders. This week, Jean spoke with members of Engineers Without Borders to find out a little more of what they're all about. Ready?
8: Hey, guys. So, I'm sitting here today with some representatives from NCSU's very own branch of Engineers Without Borders. Can you introduce yourselves and tell us a little about what you do in the organization?
9: Hey, my name's Andrew Santos, and I'm a senior in chemical engineering. I'm the president of the chapter here, and I just try to make sure everything's going smoothly.
10: Hi, all. I'm Ben Lord. I'm a senior in environmental engineering. I am the project lead for the Bolivia Water Sanitation Committee. Uh, As the name suggests, we do work with water supplies and sanitation in the rural highlands of Bolivia.
11: Hey, my name is Amanda Donahue. I'm a senior in civil engineering, and I'm the uh, project lead for Sierra Leone Water. We're developing an alternative uh, water source for the dry season in um, Allentown, Sierra Leone. It's a suburb of the capital of Freetown.
12: Hi, my name is Dylan Cawthorn, and I'm a junior in environmental engineering, and I'm the project lead for the Sierra Leone Renewable Energy Committee. And our mission is to provide the school, um, actually the same school that the Sierra Leone water system is at, um, provide the school with a reliable source of energy.
8: Engineers Without Borders is an amazing organization which facilitates global welfare through projects in developing countries. Uh, Though the organization helps out great causes, it does not get as much recognition as projects such as Doctors Without Borders. Could you please tell us about why Engineers Without Borders is such a great organization and what made you get involved in the first place?
9: This is Andrew. Engineers Without Borders is an international organization, and we're a a chapter of that, a small piece. And we really focus on partnering with the communities that we're working with, one in Bolivia, like Ben said, and one in Sierra Leone. It's really great because we see the project all the way through, um, from picking it where the community contacts Engineers Without Borders with a project that they want uh, and then communicating with them throughout figuring out what kind of information we need to collect and what project the community would be able to maintain and feel ownership over. Uh, it's a great way to get involved, uh, make an impact, and you learn a lot. And that's sort of why I joined Engineers Without Borders.
10: Uh, this has been, I mean, as to why I joined Engineers Without Borders, I've, I've always felt... um it's kind of selfish for us to learn these, these fantastic engineering skills and only apply them to the areas where we live, uh, especially with considering the great disparities in the world right now, you know, the 99%, uh, much more beyond the United States. Um, and I really think that it's important for me, at least, to use my skills as an engineer to help improve these people's lives around the world. And uh, even though it's only a small step in Bolivia, it's, you know, a a drop in the bucket in the grand scheme of things, but it's one step further towards
11: more global equality.
8: Okay, guys, that sounds fantastic. What about you, Amanda?
11: I remember sophomore year, I heard about Engineers Without Borders, and I researched the projects, and I thought that wasn't really what I was studying, and I wouldn't have anything to offer. But um, when I came back, I finally joined uh, my junior year, and I realized it doesn't really matter what you're studying because it's it's really just about problem solving. And we research whatever it is that we need to do and um, it's it's just a cool way to use what you're learning regardless of what it is and, um, and use it to help somebody other than yourself.
12: I first got involved with Engineers Without Borders because I felt like it was a really um, sustainable development model. When you look at a lot of aid organizations... Uh, and what the really long-term lasting impacts are, uh, I just really couldn't justify giving my time and expertise to those organizations. But I feel like Engineers Without Borders is a really great way to help empower these communities and help them help themselves because uh, we we actually, they have ownership of the solution. It's not just us giving them things. And that's that's something that's really important to me.
8: OK, well, thank you, guys. Sounds like you are really passionate about this cause and you're really trying and getting a lot of things done. And um, I understand that the Sierra Leone project has two components, water and renewable energy, just in the same location. What does the team know about the area and what are some problems which you have encountered so far, be they technical or a result of cultural differences?
12: So I actually went to Sierra Leone on a uh, assessment trip, December 2011 to January 2012, and um, that was the primary objective of that trip was to look at the location and figure out what what sort of solution would be best for the community based on local ma- locally available materials and what the community could um, su- could sustain for a while. So we've actually been over there, and we know what sort of solution we're going to u- goIng to implement, which is actually a solar energy system. And the parts are locally available there, but one of the challenges is because they have to ship all the parts over there from other places, and uh, that means that the parts are really expensive there. So our options are to either buy really expensive parts there or buy cheaper parts here in the U.S. and figure out that whole lo- logistical challenge of shipping them over to Sierra Leone. And um, I don't know... If anyone's done any shipping before to third world countries, but in a place like Sierra Leone, it's tough to, you have to bribe the right people. You have to do all these things, which you don't really think about when you just think about shipping things in a container. So that's, that's one challenge, um, we face. I'm not sure there are any specific cultural challenges. Um, but one thing that I found that was really different over there is men marry really, really young or couples always do, and um, men actually can't get a job until they're married because it's seen as a sign of responsibility to be married. So, um, me and the former project lead Brian Peel were over there, and I was nineteen years old, he was twenty-one years old, and the young guys over there were saying, "When are you guys going to get married?" I mean, <laughs> and it was like, "We're we're still in college. Like, <laughs> we're not going to get married yet." So, um, yeah, that was that was a really interesting cultural difference.
8: Um, um, did they, like, respect you less because you weren't married and not take you as seriously?
12: I mean, I wouldn't say so. They they definitely recognized that we were there to help them and um, provide our expertise and and really empower the community. So, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't say we got respected less, but that was, it was very jarring the first time that we heard that and that um, Brian and I... They were trying to find us girlfriends the entire time. Oh, really? To get married, yeah. So <laughs> that was kind of strange. Them trying to play matchmaker for us, but
10: any, any luck?
12: <laughs> no luck, actually. Um, I, I'm sad to report that I do not have a Sierra Leonean, girlfriend. Amanda, do you want to talk a little about about any pro- pro- or challenges your project has had?
11: Um, we we have similar challenges with um. Uh, the mail, basically. We tried to send uh, water testing kits to, to find out the um, the quality of the well water. Um, and we were told you really cannot just mail something over there. Um, and so we had to contact the NGO on the ground in Sierra Leone, who travels between America and Sierra Leone, and uh, we're trying to get her to take some water quality testing kits back with her. And then uh, email is spotty because the electricity is spotty dylan um <laughs> so they're just different challenges that are kind of tied together sometimes
12: we've tried to keep in contact with the community but as amanda said email is tough um i i emailed our contact over there at the school at the beginning of the summer and he said sorry i haven't gotten back to you the entire server for sierra leone is down the not,
8: entire server for yeah. Sierra Leone for the I like am not sure if country. it was like a
12: translation issue, but <laughs> that's what he said. So I was really kind of concerned when I heard that because it was they have a very distinct um, wet and dry season. So during our summer, because they're in the in the southern hemisphere, they actually have a really wet um, summer and it's monsoon season. So stuff actually floods. And they've had a lot of issues with that, and then they have the exact extreme uh, in our winter around um, November, December, where it gets really dry, and that gets to be an issue with the water, which is what Amanda's project is about.
8: Okay, well, thank you so much. I learned a lot today. Now moving on to the Bolivia Water Sanitation Initiative. From what I gather, it's meant to provide the local community with clean water, but uh, what other benefits will result from that? Is it just focusing on the water or... um, does that extend to other areas?
10: Well, part of the thing that makes the Bolivia project, along with the Sierra Leone project, so neat is that they're both sited at schools. Um, and so, if you do any kind of implementation of a kind of a new technology at a school, there's a lot of potential for a much larger impact over the area. If you're able to really teach the youth how to use, you know, this technology, they can take it home, build it on their house, or in back in their local communities. Um, so that's one of the larger impacts that we're hoping for. Through working in Bolivia, it's much harder to measure it um, because we don't have monitoring sites available in this across this entire region. But that's definitely one of the big benefits to working with the water supply at this school. Um, the water supply itself is not the focus of the school. The school teaches and um, empowers kind of young adults in agronomical skills. Um, else, agric- that's like an interface of agriculture. Um, and sort of community management strategies. So the school itself has some really neat stuff going on there. Um, And so by providing them with water, we allow them to operate continuously throughout the year. Like with Dylan's project, or uh, Dylan and Amanda's project in Sierra Leone, Bolivia suffers from extreme dry and wet seasons. Um, And school is not in session during the wet season. And so they're often, their water supply runs out uh, for adequate water, Around what is it? October, Andrew? Uh,
9: yeah, or even even sooner. Sooner, yeah. Yeah, towards even August. Yeah.
10: Um. So they end up running dangerously low on water, and that uh, not only because they have less water, they also have very dirty water. So that can lead to elevated rates of uh, gastrointestinal illnesses, which ruins their edge. I mean doesn't allow them to be in school if you're too busy doing other things with the illness. Um, and so that's part of. The larger impact is that we're allowing the school to effectively overcome one of the largest challenges that they have with being able to educate these youth.
8: Okay, well, sounds like you're doing a lot, not just for water sanitation, but for education, which, as we all know, is the next step to socioeconomic mobility, just overall welfare. Um, Did the Bolivia project have any kind of cultural, um, any problems that were a result of cultural differences or just general issues maybe like with shipping as the Sierra Leone project Um, had? Well,
10: shipping in general to our project site, uh, there's not really any kind of regular service there, but we haven't needed to really mail anything down there either. Um, As for cultural differences, I was more surprised by not encountering the, uh, the cultural differences I was anticipating. Um, for example, one crucial part of our project, uh, in our rainwater harvesting system that we implemented previously, uh, it's called a first flush diverter. I won't go into the technicalities here. But essentially, this apparatus broke right after we installed it, right after our project team left the site. And the community there, uh, very often in international development scenarios, um, a community won't take ownership and something. So if it breaks, like say you have a water pump that breaks, they'll just go back to you, be using the old water. But that the, the um, professors at this school found the system broken, and they repaired it using a similar apparatus to what we originally implemented. Now their uh, their solution wasn't as technical; it wasn't as well designed, and you know had some problems with it itself. But the initiative that was taken by the school to uh, replicate our design showed amazing initiative i was that that absolutely blew me away and really excited me about the ownership that the school was taking in this
8: okay well that sounds fantastic uh, and your pro your project is in the finishing stages is that correct
10: oh we're in an intermediate phase between having done one part and moving on to where we we've implemented a system previously like i mentioned and now we're hoping to implement another system um so it's more of just like a secondary phase. Uh, even though our ultimate goal is to be unnecessary and to have them take ownership of their water system. And they can, so hopefully they'll be able to design these systems themselves. Um, but right now we're aiming to travel in May and implement another rainwater harvesting system.
8: Okay. Going off of that, um, as your sta- your project is in a later stage of progression than that of the Sierra Leone team, what advice would you give them or what advice would you give anyone who wants to be involved in Engineers Without Borders and start a project and just work on a cause which they're passionate about?
10: Well, I think kind of par for the course in international development, um, which is Engineers Without Borders is only one of many, many organizations that are involved with it. Um, Always expect the unexpected. Um, Stuff goes wrong a lot and you can't just give up and freak out at it. For um, We've had a lot of things go wrong with our project throughout its history. Most recently we found out that the school down there uh, had lost operational funding and we had lost contact with all of our um, people down there. But just recently we, we started to really rekindle things and discover that there is a potential solution there and this project could very well be very alive and well. Um, and so that's just kind of, if you're involved in international development, if you're Think about all the things that could go wrong. You're relying on communication across thousands of miles through email, which may be, might be unreliable for them. Um, you're counting on them to take ownership of the project. Oftentimes they don't, and there's not an awful lot you can do about that if you don't implement a community-driven solution. Um, so it just – stuff goes wrong, but you have to be, always just remain optimistic.
8: Okay. Thank you. That was excellent advice. And just one last question. A lot of you are seniors and getting ready to graduate. Are you going to continue being involved with your projects after you graduate from state? Or are you going to move on to different things?
9: Um, this is Andrew. I, I was the Bolivia Project lead before Ben. Um, and so it's, it's sort of uh, interesting how for, for our projects in the community, we, we try to make it to the point where we're not needed anymore. Um, and that's sort of how we try to do it with um, our leadership uh, so I'm, I'm still very involved with the, the, the Bolivia project um, but it's I you know make sure that there's new people uh, coming in and uh, bringing in new voices so uh, I think at least for myself I'll still be involved um, but I'll make sure there's someone else uh, giving direction and life to it
10: and yeah, kind of along with what Andrew said. I mean, and after I graduate, um, looking at Engineers Without Borders at NC State, uh, I'll have minimal involvement as I will not be a student at NC State. Um, but I do hope to continue working in the international development sector. Um,
11: basically, same story, but um, Engineers Without Borders also has uh, professional chapters. So um, after graduation, you can continue to um, to work with EWB. And um, we're trying to kind of focus on our turnover. We don't want our project leads to be seniors and then to take all of their experience with them and leave. Um, We would prefer to have some younger people, maybe junior year, your project lead. And then the next year, you can hand that over and then still be around if people have more questions. So there's more support and um, you don't have to worry about information or experiences being taken with the project lead
12: yeah i think definitely what amanda said is something that i want to do um, if i end up not being project lead next year i don't want all of my experience and all of my knowledge about the community and this project to go away so um i'm not sure about once i graduate um, i know a former project lead for the energy project brian peel is actually still in the area so we still talk and um he he tells me he gives me advice on uh, the project and stuff. But as he's not a current student at State, um, he's not as involved with the project. He's busy with his job and other things that adults do. But, um, yeah, yeah, I'm definitely interested in getting involved with the professional chapters once I graduate. I feel like it's such a worthy organization that to not be involved after being so involved for for this long would be a waste.
8: Is there anything you would like us to know before we finish up
9: uh amanda picked on a couple things that uh i think sort of shed light on who we work with uh more locally and who we're looking to be part of our, our our team and our chapter um you know you don't have to have direct experience uh like she was saying you know we want you know younger people to be project leads or have uh officer position um so it's it's not about the experience you've had. It's the willingness to learn and apply the experience, you know, in something totally different. Um, along those lines, you know, we're called engineers without borders, but it's it can be misleading. We're not only engineers. Um, we have lots of non-engineers, and we're always looking for people from other disciplines. Because uh, that's really, it's it's engineers without borders in the sense of trying to engineer a solution. And that requires uh, different talents and different perspectives.
10: And also, uh, just one of our continual, continual, ongoing needs is a chapter, we're always looking for new members, as Andrew was saying, uh, non-engineers and engineers alike. You can like us on Facebook, um, or you can check out our website uh, ewb-ncsu.org. ewb-ncsu.org.
9: Ewbncsu.org.
10: Um, and on, on that website, you will find our meeting times. Uh, and locations throughout campus. Additionally, you'll find information on fundraising. We have a big benefit dinner coming up, um, as well as we're always welcome to any kind of donations, money or in kind or just love, and letters of thank you for what we're doing.
12: And if if you're interested more about the project, we actually have the uh, um, separate pages for each project so you can see all of our faces to put a a face to our voices. So come and see us at the meeting, too, which is every Thursday, 730 in Daniels.
8: Okay, well, thank you so much for (laughs) your time and for letting everybody know what your organization does. Um, Everyone say bye.
2: Bye Bye. Bye. thank you. you. Okay.
8: This has been Gene Jernov for for WKNC Eye on the Triangle.
2: And thank you, Gene, for that excellent segment. If you are a fan of bad movies, then perhaps you might have heard of this one. Jake now has some thoughts on the two thousand three Blockbuster, The Room.
1: so often there comes along a movie that completely changes everything. A movie that isn't necessarily good, but a movie that people nonetheless fall in love with. A movie that people can't get enough of. You know, a cult classic. The Room is one of these films. One of these films that still has regular screenings, despite having been released almost 10 years ago, in 2003. The Room is at once reviled and beloved by moviegoers around the world. It is consistently rated as one of the worst movies ever made. And yet, like so many other flops out there, there are reasons to love The Room. of things will strike you immediately after you begin watching this film first are the panoramic shots of san francisco now ordinarily a panoramic shot is used to establish the location so you have a little bit of background as to the setting but the director tommy Wiseau, who also by the way produced wrote and starred in the film used these panoramic shots way way too much so much in fact that a popular drinking game is to take a drink every time a panoramic shot of san francisco is shown and believe me there's a lot of them There's also quite a lot of sex in this film. A lot of jerky, cheesy, and very awkward sex. There are three separate sex scenes in the first 30 minutes of the movie alone. In fact, the very second scene in the film is a sex scene. At this point, we don't know any of the characters, nothing about the plot, and nothing has really been established. The director wastes no time in just getting down and dirty. Accompanied, might I add, by what may be some of the most awful and awkward music in any movie I've ever seen. that isn't why this movie is so well known the real gem of this movie lies in the writing and the acting, asking which is worse is pointless, the two are both so terrible that combined they create something so uniquely entertaining that it elevates this movie past just the bad movie status, the dialogue has become iconic, every scene is a disaster take this scene for example where the main character walks into a flower shop to purchase a bouquet for his fiance hi
5: can I
11: help you?
6: Yeah, can I have a dozen red roses, please?
11: Oh, hi, Johnny. I didn't know it was you. Here you go.
6: That's me. How much is it? It'll be $18. Here you go. Keep the change. Hi, doggy. You're my favorite customer. Thanks a lot. Bye. Bye-bye.
1: There really is nothing more that needs to be said. This movie is plagued with awkward dialogue, and it doesn't help the main character's first language doesn't even seem to be English. Worse still, it appears the audio and the video were not even captured at the same time, and what you have is some of the poorest dubbing I've seen in any film in a long time. It looks like a movie that was dubbed into English from some other language. One theme that runs throughout this film is repetition, which has become among fans one of its most popular assets. This movie tries so hard to be taken seriously, so hard to portray human drama, but ultimately it falls far short of that lofty goal, and what is left is a veritable mess of forgettable characters the conflict just feels forced and the acting is lazy. One particularly infamous character actually changes actors halfway through the movie, as if no one will notice. Ultimately, though, that is the least of this film's problems. Truly and honestly, its unintended humor is the only thing that makes this film even remotely watchable. Which is why I highly recommend it. For On the Triangle, I'm Jake Walker That is an awesome movie. Um, So it's that weird time of year again. Summer is pretty much over, um, but the leaves haven't quite turned, so it's not exactly fall yet. But that certainly doesn't mean that there aren't holidays to be celebrating. Dave, what should we be celebrating this week?
3: Well, uh, we can start off with today. Today is National Cheeseburger uh, (laughs) Day. It is National ADD Awareness Day and Oh Look a Bug.
2: What? (laughs) What? (laughs) <laughs> oh look, a bug! Are you saying that there's a bug in the? It's studio. National ADD Awareness <laughs>
3: Day. Oh, I get it. Oh, uh, I get it. It's a joke. Okay, okay, that's cute. I have ADD. I get to say things like that. Okay, tomorrow <laughs> is Talk Like a Pirate Day, and it's National Women Road Warrior Day. So what? I, I didn't know what a woman road warrior is, but I was imagining something involving Mel Gibson and leather clothing. <laughs> is that like like uh, like Zena uh, bikers? Bikers or up. truckers? It's uh, it's actually a reference to traveling business women. Oh.
1: That's totally yeah, not no, what I had in mind. the Warrior
3: cool. seems a little intense for that. <laughs> See, I thought I it was like, like bikers nearly. or
1: truckers or something. You know. See, that's <laughs> what
3: I, I was thinking someone with a leather outfit and a sawed-off shotgun <laughs> and <laughs> some strange hair. But, you know. That may be getting a little different area. That's still what it's going to be in my heart. <laughs> Friday <laughs> is National Punch Day. Whoop. and uh,
1: Like like the drink or? Like the physical punching. action of well,
3: punching. Well, I don't know. It doesn't say. It just says National Punch Day, but uh, let's celebrate in a nonviolent way and define that as a day celebrating the punch you get out of a bowl. Okay. Okay. Versus the ones you dole out with
2: the <laughs> <pants>. <laughs> I like the first one better. The punch. The actual one.
3: It's than fist. So. <laughs> Saturday is International Peace Day, and it's miniature golf day, so get a... Nice, quiet nine holes in this week. The world would be more peaceful so if more people did miniature I If everybody just played miniature golf. I don't,
2: I don't mean to boast, but I am excellent at miniature golf. I'm terrible. I'm like
3: your average miniature golf player, you know? I'm terrible. <laughs> Pretty much.
2: Under par, every hole.
3: Yeah. Okay. We'll see about that. Uh, Sunday is car-free day. So use a bike, walk, roller skate, longboard, skateboard. Miniature skateboard, miniature longboard, whatever. Uh, I think I'll be driving. Not
0: to be confused with free car day. Not free car day.
3: (laughs) And it's not cash for clunkers or anything like that. Just car free. They
0: still do
2: that? I don't think they do Really? That was
3: like a one-time deal. I feel like
2: we have a conservation day every week.
3: Probably. Probably, Yeah. It's also it's also Elephant Appreciation Day, so appreciate oh, an my elephant. God. That's good. We'd probably have to go to the zoo to do that. I didn't I know, play my piano. Local elephant population. It's also Hobbit Day, celebrating Hobbit. the uh, publication of the Hobbit. When's the, the movie come rings? out? It's come, it's like
2: was that was that book that important that I need today? Yes. yes. Oh yes, absolutely. It like the are we? Are we sure about that? Western
3: or? literature. It's the only Tolkien book I read. It was really good. I recommend it. It's so, also okay. It's, <laughs> I have to get through Sunday, guys. There's like 20. There's like 20 holidays on Sunday. The, okay. There's National Centen Centenarians Day, uh, Fish Am- Amnesty Day. So, give a fish a break uh, on Sunday. All right. And it's also the beginning of Oktoberfest, which I think is exciting. This is mean, exciting. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's something to get. More
1: than anything, that's probably like you know, fall is in the air when that's when, when it's
3: Oktoberfest. Uh, so... Beer swilling. I realize that's a lot, but I actually cut off at least, like, half of the holidays for Sunday. There just are a lot.
2: Really? You shouldn't have done that, dude. You should have kept them all.
3: Oh, well. Monday is Checkers Day, and it's also Restless Legs Awareness Day. So, yeah, okay. if you know someone with Restless Legs, just... That's get a syndrome. Restless Leg Syndrome. Yes. Yes. It's, it's, it's a legit thing. Yep. So, it's also Checkers Day, so... Okay. Yeah, play awesome.
2: Checkers. Well, um... Thanks, Dave, uh, <laughs> first of all. And uh, that's about all we got for you guys today. From all of us here at Eye of the Triangle, we thank you for tuning in. And as always, if you heard anything you liked,
1: you hated, or anything that just made you think, let us know on our Facebook page. You can al- you can also follow us on Twitter at WKNC underscore EOT. Also, be sure to check out our blog at WKNC.org.
2: Thank you, guys, and until next week, good night.